It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Popery edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com Digital Sports Columnist Center with Rick Roaring. Each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two, and there's something that was local that went national this week that we'll get into. A gambling segment on, on, on occasion, certainly during football and basketball season, but we may have a gambling segment to talk about on this program as well. And of course, my favorite part of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic, go to the Twitterverse, hit up the hashtag, ask skinny anything. You ask them, Rick compiles them, Rick asks them, I answer them, and it doesn't have to be about sports. In fact, we prefer it's not about sports. It's more fun that way, but we'll answer sports questions as well. Uh, so we got a lot to get to on this podcast. As always, it's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Rick, we got a ton to get to, including, as I mentioned, a local story that became a national story this week. Yeah, we got quite the gift in the first week of May or second week of <laughs> May, I guess, especially if you're in my business, which is covering college basketball. Transfer portal starting to slow down a bit. Xavier getting the roster set and then boom. Bob Huggins comes back into our oh. lives. Thank you, Bob. I, th- I thought you were going to talk about transfer portal Mike Adams Woods leading. My bad. <laughs> well, we, do, we should mention Mike Adams Woods here in a minute. But the West Virginia University Athletics Department has announced disciplinary measures against men's basketball head coach Bob Huggins after his use of a homophobic slur on Monday when referring to Xavier fans during a live radio show on 700 WLW. Huggins will be suspended for three games. He's going to have to forfeit a million dollars in his salary. And the money is going to go to support organizations that support LGBTQ plus causes in West Virginia. He also agreed to make a substantial donation to Xavier University Center for Faith and Justice and its Center for Diversity and Inclusion. This all coming from a press release by West Virginia on Wednesday. By now, if you're not living under a rock, you've heard the comments. We don't need to replay them for you. But Skinny, I'll ask you, do you think West Virginia got the punishment right? I mean, I, it's funny when you see the initial punishment of a million dollar reduction in pain, you're like, well, what's that going to do? Um, uh, but it's obviously going to causes. And I, I knew that, but it was just funny to see it and go, well, what's that going to do for it? I do. I, listen, it, what he did was completely in the wrong. There's no question about that. I, I'm just uh, anymore. I, I don't know. I'm a sticks and stones guy. I mean, I really am. Uh, it, it, we, we've got, we've gotten so crazy with just, somebody with a with, with saying something that that we want to cancel them out and 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 punt them right away um listen what he did was completely wrong i don't want to, to to let that be misconstrued it's just stupid i mean if you're on a radio interview although there's some mitigating circumstances of that from what i'm told you're on a radio interview <laughs> you need to know what you're saying and you need to know what's right and wrong and um so he crossed the line i i, I know everybody was thinking he was going to lose his job. I didn't, and I don't think he should have. So, yes, I do think they got they got the punishment right, if you will, for whatever that means. So, on, you're saying there's some question about whether he actually knew he was on air yeah. or not. Obviously, we, we know people that work at the radio station. We know people that are friends with Huggins. Have you talked to anyone? Do you have any information on that or whether, like, what, what happened there? Yeah, the only thing from what I was told was, was he didn't think he was on a radio interview he he thought he was just talking to those guys and and you can you can argue that the other side to your blue in the face if you'd like and that's fine um you and don't, i have don't done don't you find that hard to believe though I, I do a little bit um and i can argue maybe i do a lot of it but i also know that it's happened to me where they introduce you as a guest you hear the click over they had continued to talk in that click over and you you don't hear what was said in that time frame it's usually nothing 
nothing nefarious. It's usually just they're asking a question. You catch the tail end of the question. And it could have been that click over where, they, where you know, Bill Cunningham clearly says, the radio host, Bill Cunningham clearly says you're on the air live. Yeah. But in that click over, it's possible that he never heard any of that. Yeah. Now, I just you can also argue he, he knows when he's on the air. Why would Steve Moeller be in there with him? I'm going to guess somebody called him to say, hey, we're going to do a radio interview with you. I don't um, even know if that because I'm sure Bill Cunningham has his private, his personal cell phone number. Well, no, he, and he dials people up from time to time and right. lets them know you're on the air live. Yeah, he does as, do as that. the buffer. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 maybe they didn't. And again, that's that 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 is honestly as good. It's plausible because really, you and I've done radio interviews. It's probably happened to you where. Again, it's nothing nefarious, but you 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 hear the end of a question or hear the end of an introduction, and there was something said in between that you literally didn't hear. It's not a big deal. It's not that you needed to hear that, but you do need right. to hear, hey, you're on the air live. Yeah. To some extent, I can see that maybe happening where you have that click over thing or that pause. Sometimes it's a little weird. There's the slight delay because they, they seem to be on some type of like internet connection and you're on phone or whatever. So there does seem to be something a little off when you connect with the iHeart stations. I'll give you that. That being said, it's the Stooge Report. So you've got music playing in the background as they're talking. You've got Seg Dennison laughing on air, Steve Moeller laughing on air with you. Like, to me, it's just hard to believe he would hear what's going on there and not understand that this is Willie's show. He knows the city. He knows the show. He knows Willie well. I I'm, it's hard for me to believe he didn't know he was on air. Now, it's a, a very convenient and, and excuse and your, after you do something like that. Is, right. Your point is plausible. There's no question. And, and my like other him. thing I mean, about all this, the, all those facts. The other thing that I think makes it less likely, Skinny, is he was already talking about this exact story and this exact topic at the Hall of Fame luncheon that he was speaking at before he was called in Canton, Ohio. Had right. he not just said very similar remarks to this up in Canton, was all fired up about it and already on the topic of Catholics and saviors and this game and, and stealing Kirk Creesa from them and all that. If that wasn't already something he had just been fired up about and talking about 30 minutes prior to this call or an hour prior to this call, then I would probably be willing to listen to that a little bit more. But my guess is he was just he had been around some old buddies and friends at this Hall of Fame luncheon that he's been speaking at forever, and he got talking, was already a little bit fired up and having a good time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I can be talked into both sides of that. Um, yeah, uh, you're, you're just more plausible because you're right. I mean, you know, you, it's the time of day when he's on the air. Um, you know, well, why is Mo there? <laughs> Say, oh, Seg's there. I mean, you're, I mean, you're right. All, all of the big things. thing is the music playing in the background too. They have that bumper music the entire Stooge Report while they do it. So it's like, what? When does anyone call you, and you've just got constant music playing? Yeah, he I, again. I, 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 I love that segment of the show, by the way. But I sometimes tune that part out in my own mind. I really do. Yeah, fair enough. Well, back to West Virginia. You mentioned you felt like they got it right for the most part. I, I did. I thought they handled it well too. I think they made the immediate statement condemning the remarks, which is smart. I don't think you can let that sit and wait for two days like they did for the punishment. I think you got to immediately say, "Hey, this is wrong," and we're reviewing it right now. They took what day and a half, two days to review all the facts, get their ducks in a row, and also make sure you know everything that you're allowed to do. I mean, what your what are your options in terms of punishment? And there are legal things and and channels that you have to go through before you just dole out a punishment. And then, in terms of the actual punishment itself, I, I thought they they gave him an appropriate punishment because a million dollars is not nothing. I mean, he's he's due to make about a little over four million dollars a year. Taking a million of that away is not insignificant. Now, I'd be okay if they wanted to go more. I personally, if I were making the punishment, I would not do any suspension at all. 
because I don't think that serves any purpose. I don't think making Bob Huggins miss a couple of bye games early in the season is really going to change much about uh, what happens to gay people going forward. I don't think it's going to change much about Bob Huggins' intentions going forward or what he does going forward. The only thing I think that really serves to do is bring this story back up for the first three games of West Virginia season, well, drag West Virginia back through the mud. If I'm making this decision in the interest of self-preservation and the in the interest of protecting West Virginia University, I don't do any suspension. If we're not firing him, which I don't think he deserved, then I'm looking to take as much of his money as possible in a fine and putting that to good use to underfunded causes that actually do good. And I think that's the best possible outcome in a scenario like this. Because, like, to be honest, at the end of the day, it's an old dude in his 70s speaking the way he's spoken for years. He's probably not going to change that. S- letting him go to uh, sensitivity training or or making him miss a few games isn't going to change that. And to be honest, even if you did change the way that Bob Huggins speaks when he's with buddies or or, in this case, even on air... I don't think it does a whole lot of good for the world. I mean, I, I wish he would, but I don't know that him, that one person changing the way he speaks does a whole lot long-term for the good of gay rights and, and all of that. So honestly, yeah, I, I think yeah. really taking a big chunk of money that can actually do some good is actually a pretty good outcome here. Yeah, no, I, and, and, and that, that the, the way I phrased earlier is it was just odd to read that initially, like he's fined a million dollars. And I yeah. thought, what, 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 what did that do? And then you find out what it's going to. And it's like, oh, okay, that makes some sense. I'm uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That, that's fine. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I thought his apology was good too. I really do. He fired it out quickly. He even said, Hey, uh, you know, actions have consequences. And I think he understood there were consequences that were going to come. Um, so I, I, again, was it sincere? Probably not. Never, it never really is, but I thought it, it was well phrased. And the fact that he understood consequences were coming probably helped as well. Well, and the one thing I'll give him credit for is if what you're saying is true and he's trying to spin it in private circles as I didn't know I was on air, kudos for to him for not saying that publicly and just no, you're owning right. it. Because yeah. a lot of people would have reached for the first easiest excuse and said, I didn't mean it or it didn't actually happen the way you saw it or heard it. So yeah, I'll give him I, I, think the, I think the other part to it is, though, I, I'm a little surprised at the radio station for not having ramifications for those in the, in, in, in the on the air, especially Bill Cunningham. I mean. Okay, so that's an interesting question. He, he, I mean, he 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 giggled at it and laughed at it, which means he condoned it, and and um he could have nipped it in the bud and go, "Whoa, Bob, hey, hang on, you 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 don't mean that." Um, yeah, he actually uh, said he's the best ever right after. Correct, correct. Uh, so from a business standpoint, I think iHeart is making the right decision by not apologizing for this and not punishing Willie Cunningham. I guess their loyal fan base would be absolutely pissed if they apologize for that sort of thing for multiple reasons, but mostly because it's become this weird right wing cancel culture topic. And and people immediately go there when you talk about this stuff. And to be clear, I don't think the highest paid employee at a state university that's in a very visible role speaking like this on a public platform is cancel culture. I think that's just you're not doing your job correctly. I mean, that's a, you know, it's, it's a thing that you can get in legit trouble for. I don't think that's like being canceled and he didn't get fired. So he was not canceled at all. This isn't a cancel culture situation. Let me ask you this from a business standpoint though, since you brought up the business standpoint of it and probably getting a little deep in the weeds for this podcast, but I'll, I'll bring it. I think this is the interesting topic. Yeah. The the, the president of Xavier obviously condoned it yesterday um, in statements. Hang on. on. She didn't condone it. Well, but but hang on. But yeah, yes, correct. Um, but 
I'm surprised Xavier hasn't put some pressure on iHeart as a business partner of theirs to to um, to suspend Bill Cunningham or give him some level of punishment too. Do you think they haven't? I mean, I, I haven't heard anything. I'm just curious. Correct. I no, I don't think they have. I, I, okay. I, I'm guessing they haven't. I was wondering if they were just doing it very quietly behind the scenes. I don't think it's a thing you do publicly if you're Xavier. But there's also the fact that look like Xavier. Well, but but maybe. But if you did, don't you think there would be some level of punishment? I don't. Okay. I I don't think okay. I don't think iHeart would do that. Period. Because I think, and and honestly, from a business standpoint, I actually do think that's smart because the people who care about them, they have a very loyal audience. No and question. The people who listen yeah, to them no and question. care about them. This is a high topic. If you want to lose some of the loyalty of your listeners, you come out as being a part of cancel culture or even being perceived that way. So I understand why they're not punishing him. And I understand why they didn't come out and apologize for this right away. I think it's cowardly to be quite honest, but I understand why they didn't do it from a business perspective. Now, what I think is absolutely mind blowing. And I really want to get your opinion on. I can't believe that they're ignoring the story altogether and not discussing it on air. Like, yeah, I, I listened to the whole three hours the, the day after of his show. And I listened to the show. Um, I'm a listener. <laughs> um, I listened to the show and I thought it would be addressed right off the top. Get it out of the way. Um, whatever you needed to be said, be said. And then to ignore it altogether was honestly a little mind blowing to me. I I couldn't believe, it, especially again, from a business perspective and I like these guys. I'm not taking shots at the on-air people. I'm not talking about Willie Cunningham. I don't know him at all. But like the sports guys that we interact with and we're friends with, I like these guys. I'm not criticizing them for not doing their job because I think it's very obvious a gag order was handed down across the company that said, right. we're not going to talk about this because none of them have talked about it now for a couple of days. Even yesterday, as Bob Huggins was getting his punishment and everything, they didn't discuss it as an on-air topic. They did bring it up on their news briefs on Wednesday, finally. But that was, you know, it happened on Monday, right? The, the incident happened uh, on yes, Monday. Correct. Yes, so that's correct. two days later that they finally mentioned it in the news and they didn't bring it up as a topic on air at all. And my thing is this, again, this is not a shot at the guys doing their job and doing what they're asked to be doing. But from a management perspective, how silly was it on Monday to turn on the radio, see, see this all over Twitter. It's the number one trending topic on Twitter. You're hearing about it on national news shows. And then you turn on the local radio sports show to hear what's going on. And they're leading off with the atmosphere at FC Cincinnati over the weekend. <laughs> like, sorry, but how insane is that? If like your business is talking about the top, the biggest sports topics going on right now and, and what the news of the day is, and you're opening with FC Cincinnati talk. From the weekend, like just the atmosphere, not even something that happened recently. Just like, hey, wasn't that atmosphere at the game great two nights ago? That's well, sorry, maybe, but that's insane. Maybe as a host, that's your subtle shot of, OK, if you're going to give me a gag order, I'm going to give you the stupidest thing I can talk about. Well, and, and good for them if that's the case. And normally I wouldn't have thought anything of it. It's like the first, you know, second week of May. Not a lot's going on. I get it. You're looking for new topics to talk about. That's a fine, normal Monday night topic on the second week of May. But when you have a national sports story blowing up and going viral and it happened on your airwaves, so everyone is coming there to hear about it, why would you not discuss it? Like, what's yeah. wrong with doing what we're doing right now and saying, hey, uh, what do you think happened with Huggins? What type of punishment does he deserve? Th those things are totally within bounds, especially for a sports talk radio show. It actually creates for interesting discussion, I think. Yeah. And, 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 and I, you know, I did not listen to, I, I listened to the first hour of, of Mo Egger's show on Tuesday when he had Paul Daner on. So I did not hear Monday's show. I did not hear after, after Paul was on. So um, actually that, 
that that surprises me and doesn't surprise me because again, I listened to, to Cunningham to see what he would say the day after, and he didn't say a word. So, um, yeah, it's pretty clear they put a gag order on it. Yeah, which again, I just I don't really understand that that logic. I I understand from a business perspective why they wouldn't apologize, why they wouldn't punish Willie Cunningham. I do not understand at all why you wouldn't talk about it as a topic because it is new, especially when it didn't even happen on your show. Like if if it was one of the sports shows, why wouldn't they be allowed to talk about that? That just doesn't make sense. I, Skinny, one other thing that occurred to me, because they did change the the status of Bob Huggins contract at West Virginia from I think it was three years left on the deal to now it's year to year. It The, the current contract now ends after the 2023-2024 season, the upcoming one, and then they'll renew it on a one-year basis from there if they decide to. Do you think, like, you've heard the concept suicide by cop. Do you think this was in any way career suicide by slur. Like did Huggins want out here? I don't think he wanted out. No, I, I mean, he got his retirement job when he took the West Virginia job. It was a perfect fit, perfect storm, perfect everything going back home again, where he played all of those things. So no, and he is a basketball lifer um, that I, I could see coaching until he died. I mean, hell, he almost died on the court for goodness sakes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, so I, I, I think in this case, no, I, I don't believe that part of it. Um, but the, the year to year is interesting because it literally says the year that you don't have a good success on the court, we'll punch you out the door, have a good day. You're done. Goodbye. You're seven years old. I tend to think this is his last year, almost regardless. I do too, but I don't think that was intentional. Oh, yeah, by him. I don't think so either, necessarily. Although the thought did cross my mind initially, especially when people were talking about he's going to be fired like right away off the bat. I was like, oh, that seems a little extreme. But did he maybe plan this? Because it was so shocking to hear him do that. And the biggest thing of it wasn't that he said it. It was that he double tapped it. He said it and then went back and said it again to make sure you heard him clearly. Like, no, that's actually what I said. It's like, oh, man, that was that was a strange thing to do right there. Yeah, yeah I could have seen that if if. um I mean, he he got a key guy in the portal, right? In Kirk Risa. So he got yeah, multiple guys. Guy. Yeah, he's got a great yeah, team I, coming in. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I could see that if if he thought he was on the path for 13 and 17, maybe. Yeah. But to to do the the things you did in the in the offseason and in the players you got coming in, um, yeah, I don't think that was him intentionally doing anything to cost him his his job. I don't. I but I can also see this yeah. at the end of this year, maybe even good or bad. Maybe he makes a run to the elite eight and goes, I'm done. This is a great run. I've, I've done enough. I'm not going through anymore. I'm 70 years old. I'm good. I got all the money in the world. I'm fine. Uh, the, the one thing I do see a lot of people trying to do with this story is make comparisons like, oh, this person said that and they got that punishment. So this doesn't make sense. Or uh, this person in this profession did this and here's what happened. I think you have to look at these situations differently like people are confusing bob huggins who's the highest paid employee at a public university with a media member right now right so like well, yeah it, yeah yeah i mean it, it's it's in the eye of your employer i mean if exactly. your employer is not satisfied with it then that's that you're going to face whatever repercussions your employer decides to hand down but understand the difference here like if you're in the media your business model relies on advertisers. This is a major problem. If you do something like this, you are going to be fired almost immediately. That's that's why media members, people on air, people who do broadcast get fired for something like this right away. If your business model, like a university, quote unquote, business model is keeping really rich people happy so they'll give you money. Firing the head coach of your basketball team may have put you in a really bad spot in Morgantown, West Virginia. 
Yeah, because no, those right. donors may no longer want to give you that money. They may not see that situation the same way as you do. Yeah, their support may very much be behind Bob Huggins and go, yeah, I, I don't condone what you said, but dude, I don't think you should be fired. I'm still in your corner. I'm still going to write the check. Yeah, and from everything I understand, that's exactly what went on at West Virginia over the last few days. So I, I think people have to understand that. There are differences here to each situation, and one isn't equal to the other, and the repercussions aren't going to be equal because of that. It, like you said, it all depends on your employer and what their business model is, essentially. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, that, yeah, I think that's the simplest point. All right, anything else to add to the Bob Huggins conversation, Skinny? No. Um, well, the, the, oh, I do have one more question for you, actually, real quick. Yeah, okay. The game in question, the rubber penises game, where he says his team had rubber penises held I, down I, at them. I, I don't remember that. Do you? I've So I've tried to look into it. He said, while he was at the luncheon in Canton, that Danny that Dan Peters' wife, his assistant coach at the time, Dan Peters, his wife picked up the rubber penises, put them into a purse, brought them to church the next day, and dumped them out in front of a priest. So- First of all, if this happened, we need the details because this is the greatest untold chapter in the Crosstown shootout history. I'm with you. I don't remember that being a storyline at all. I think it would have been, wouldn't it have? There's almost no way that it wouldn't have come out. Because I'll be honest, I'm glad you brought that up because when I what when that part of this conversation took place, I thought, gosh, darn, am I getting that old? I don't remember something that significant taking place. Right. And then so I so I was looking at Dan Peters coached at UC from 1999 to 2004. So you have three shootouts that were at Xavier during that time. And I assume this occurred at Xavier in Huggins mind because he said they were raining down on him from all the fans at at the arena, which means it probably wasn't at UC, I would assume. So you've got three games, which was the 99 game. UC was number one in the country. Xavier knocked them off. That was the Kenyon Martin year. That was the the Kevin Fry layup year and Darnell Williams playing well. Um, Then you had the 2001 Crosstown shootout, which would have been the first one at the Cintas Center, the year David West didn't play because I think he hurt his ankle and Xavier got beat by 20, which typically when Hugs wins the game, especially handily, he doesn't get salty and start complaining about things. So I don't think it was probably that game. And then the next one is the, I think it was the uh, 2003 or 2004 it fell in January. So whatever it was, it was the, the right, 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 later right. year there. Um, and that was another one that that Xavier won, a close one. UC was ranked number 10 in the country at that time. But after that game, I found some quotes uh, from a, a recap AP article where Huggins had praised the, the fans at Centos Center and said that Father Graham did something classy before the game. So I don't think that's the game that he was complaining about. So it seems like he would probably be talking about that 1999 crosstown shootout where UC was number one in the country. Xavier upset them. I could see that be him being really upset after that game and, and whatever the fans did to him, I could see him getting pissed off. But and I, on think, my, I think, I think we would have remembered that being part of the storyline and I think he would have brought it up. I totally agree. I also did see on my message board fans mentioned that they do remember pennies being thrown. That game that well, Xavier maybe, fans threw pennies on the court. Maybe he has a, maybe he has a hard time recollecting uh, the, something that starts with the letter P is Huggins dyslexic. Maybe. Um, also, did did Dan well, Peter's pen, wife actually pennies, go to coin pennies. star the next day with a, a, a purse full of pennies and not rubber penises? Well, think about it. Pennies and penis start with P.E.N. So maybe he's church and coin star both start with C. They do. So maybe maybe we are coming to a bigger root cause issue. Something's going on in his brain. I think. Well, I don't want to bring up any personal issues, but drinking does affect cognitive function, I believe, <laughs> and memory. So, 
Who knows? Okay, I'm glad I wasn't crazy because I thought, gosh darn, I'm getting sold. I don't remember that at all. I mean, like, like not even it being brought up going, oh, I remember that. No, it was literally like, I don't recall that taking place, but okay, I don't, you know, there's things I certainly can miss in this world, and maybe I'd miss that one, or it's just 25 years later, it's gone out of my memory bank. I just did not recall that whatsoever. That's the most frustrating part of all this, and what and clear chant or iHeart not talking about it on air is like. Seg acted like he knew what he was talking about. Seg was the one who said that was a crosstown shootout, wasn't it? He's the only person I can find in the greater Cincinnati area who seems to have some type of recollection of what the hell Bob Huggins was talking about. And he's not allowed to talk about it, apparently. It's like I would love to get filled in on the backstory for this game. I've been I mean, that is absolutely the funniest thing that's ever been done in the crosstown shootout if it happened. But I can't find anyone, including you see people who thinks that it actually happened. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, let's move on here. The other big news of the week was the NFL schedule got released 8 p.m. Thursday night. It finally dropped. The the NFL world was sent into a bit of a panic there for a few hours earlier in the week, Skinny. It was a report out saying the NFL might not be ready to release the schedule on time. Yeah. But then they issued a statement and said, no, 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 we're, we're all good. It'll be fine. And the NFL fans rejoiced. And we got a little teaser of the schedule on Wednesday when it was revealed that the Bengals and Chief will meet in week 17 at Arrowhead Stadium at 425 p.m. So let's start with that, Skinny. The, the the big game on the schedule, the one that everyone had circled, they they did a great release with Mayor Afteb Piroval after his screw up last year. He did a good job. That was job well done. That really, really was well, well done. done. Good job by him, too, for agreeing to do it. Have fun with it. I mean, he made it. Orla- and Orlando Brown and Orlando Brown being a part of it was great. Right. Orlando Brown, obviously coming over to the Bengals from the Chiefs. He was with the Chiefs last year when that happened. So uh, him being a part of that made it made it funny as well. That was really well done. But the Bengals Chiefs playing week 17 at Arrowhead, 425 on Sunday. Skinny, what do you think about that game? But did you like the timing of it or do you wish that would have been a little bit earlier in the season? Um, no, I like it. I, I know probably a lot of people don't, and I understand why. Um, but I, I listen, I never thought it was going to be the first game. I mean, it was talked about. I understand why it was talked about. But listen, that Thursday night game, you know, it, it's going to get eyeballs no matter what. The Chief, it's, it's usually one of the two Super Bowl teams um, from the year before, and Kansas City ends up drawing Detroit in in that week one game. Um, no, I I do like it because obviously the last week of the season is is all conference or uh, rather excuse me um, divisional games to sort out whatever you need to sort out in your division um, if you do. So then the week before is the potential sorting out of the one seed in the AFC. May not neither team may be in that position or both teams may have already sorted themselves out. But if not, it puts itself in that spot of a very meaningful game and and television loves meaningful games and I think they put arguably the most meaningful game in the AFC um, this season, at least on paper, the two teams that have played for the last two AFC championships and been in the last two representatives in the conference in the Super Bowl. I think it's the perfect time to put on the schedule. The literally the last non-divisional week of the season makes all the sense in the world to me. I heard some national comments about, well, what if the chiefs, this game is no longer meaningful for the chiefs by that point, And they decide to rest guys. Do you think there's any possibility of that happening? What if it's no longer meaningful for the Bengals and they decide to rest guys? I mean, I, mean, I think more than likely the outcome is it could end up deciding the FC title, right? Yeah. Or, or again, or a seed spot. And and that's, I mean, listen, that, that, uh, you know, the, 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 that game against, uh, against Buffalo late in the season became extraordinarily meaningful. Unfortunately, did not get a chance to be played, but it was meaningful from, from jump street when you saw it on the schedule and it became even more meaningful when they were about to play it. 
And I think that's the same thing with this. There's going to be something at stake, whether it's the one seed, the two seed getting in for your division, all those things. It is going to be meaningful for at least one of the two teams, if not for both and likely for both. Skinny, the other thing that really jumped out to me about this schedule after we got the full release on Thursday night is the fact that the Bengals are going to open up the season and close the season with a division rival. Yeah, they've done that before. Um, it always felt like Baltimore they did that with at times, um, or or at least a division rival. This time it's the same division rival with Cleveland. Again, you're always going to close with a division rival, and and you know last year the Bengals opened with a divisional rival in Pittsburgh, and and um, that that was fine. You know the year before I think they closed with. Cleveland, that was the game where they sat all the starters before the playoffs the year they went to the Super Bowl. So, again, you're always going to close with a divisional rival. That's what the NFL wants to sort out any any final playoff spots. But, yeah, I, I, it, it looks odd to see it bookended, but I, I, I'm good with it. It's just it's, it's weird how that lays itself out where the Pittsburgh series is played way late in the season in November and in December, a month apart, as opposed to 17 weeks apart between Cleveland and Cleveland. Yeah, it's just strange strange to see the same team opening and ending the the regular season schedule like that. So, Skinny, let's get into the other primetime games. Take us through the primetime games and your thoughts on those. Yeah, I was a little surprised they didn't get one more, but I always remind people, you know, they 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 if things are going the way you want it to go, there's a chance for it to flex. Um, I know there's a uh, a couple of flex opportunities in there. I mean, hell, that. Well, the Steelers game probably won't be flexed. Um, yeah, about the only other one I can see getting flexed is Minnesota. Uh, you know, some of this too is territorial where, where networks that are the home networks for these teams want to want to they get some say in this as well. So yeah, the the Monday night game against the Rams in Week Three, obviously the McVay versus versus Zach Taylor scenario makes all the sense to me. I, I did think the week nine game, which is the Sunday night game against Buffalo. I did think there was the possibility they would op- open up with Buffalo on a, on Monday night at home. Um, just as, as kind of a storyline thing of unfinished business. And we're going to start there where we really couldn't get a chance to finish there last year, but it makes all the sense to put that in prime time. I, that, that game was always ticketed for prime time, Rick, whether it was yes. Monday night or Sunday night, never Thursday, in my opinion, but always either a Sunday or a Monday. And this time they get it on a, on a Sunday night. Do, um, do you my, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, as I say, then the Monday night game at Jacksonville. Uh, you know, Jacksonville's a, a a a hot team right now. They're a team that people uh, are talking a lot about. They got the the two games overseas. They they've got this game. They've got I think another another couple of primetime games. So um, yeah, that that's an interesting one. And at that time of year, you get a chance to 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 go play in some good weather, which will be nice um, in in uh, the first week of of December. So. Yeah, I just was a little surprised they didn't get at least five. I know Mike Hilton thought they would get six and deserve six. I didn't think that, but I did think five. It, it surprised me they only got the four. And of course, then the Thursday night game at, at Baltimore, um, you, you're always going to get a Thursday night game too. I'm glad they didn't get two. I will tell you that. Yeah, especially for your own interests. Yes. Uh, do you like that when the NFL scheduled those marquee matchups on the first week of the season? Um, I I do and I don't. I get why you, you, you do, but I also get why you don't because listen, dude, you could put arguably the two worst NFL teams on paper going into a season. I don't know who they, I would ticket those for Indy and name me somebody else. If you put them on Thursday night football in the very first game of the season, everybody's watching. You know why? Because everybody's ready for football. True. 
Yeah, it, it kind of gives you that still preseason feel a little bit, though, of like, oh, is this like the Canton game or what's going on? Yeah, you know what I mean, like, yeah, you got- but, but, but it's the, it's your first big night of betting and your first night of your fantasy team and your first night of all it, it, that People first night is watch. still. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I just I think I like there being marquee matchups if they don't involve my team. <laughs> like I, I'm fine with watching other teams play big games in the first week, but for my team, I'm like, I don't really like last year, Joe Burrow's still getting up to speed. And, and obviously that just happened to be the timing of his appendix surgery and everything. So he could be injured in week three and then he'd be banged up for week four or five or six or what, what have you. So, but like, it was just weird that it didn't feel like the team was fully ready to go for the start of last season. And obviously it was Pittsburgh to lead off. So it was a pretty big game, but had that been like a primetime game against the chiefs or bills that would have just felt kind of crappy for Bengals fans like well the team isn't up to speed yet they're not really the Bengals yet like they were midway through the season I will say the final three games are are, are really interesting to me because they play at Pittsburgh on that Saturday before Christmas Saturday the 23rd um, in a late afternoon game which um, again that time of year you're going to get to cold weather pretty quickly um, and, and that time of day as well, because the sun sets earlier, then you got to follow it up after you come out of that slugfest with having to go to Kansas City for that marquee matchup. And then you get the chance to lick your wounds at home against Cleveland. And and, and that could be for some things, too, because I think Cleveland's going to be a much better team. So uh, that final stretch of three is really, really difficult, in my opinion. Are you one of the people who think Pittsburgh is going to be much improved this year? I don't know about the much improved, but I do think, I mean, listen, that dude found a way to have a winning record last year with that slop. And that was not a very good team. And they've gotten significantly better on paper. So I do think they're going to be better. And I do think that's got a chance to be a slugfest. I just think that that, that stretch, um, I mean, the, the, the division itself is, is, is a nightmare because I think all four teams are really, really good um, and did a lot to get themselves better this off season. Um, so yeah, I think that, that part of it is, is, is really, really huge. But then again, you're, you're finishing with two of those teams on your schedule sandwiched with Kansas city in between on the road. That's a tough stretch. You better put yourself in a really good spot from a seed perspective before you get in that home stretch. Um, if you want to get the one seed or get a, 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 a home playoff game, because if not that, that, that final stretch could knock you out. Yeah, you know, it's funny, but we were in the same situation last year where before the year we're talking about, man, that's murder's row the last several weeks of the season. And that's when the Bengals played their best. They turned things on right right. through it. So you you never know with this stuff. But looking at it right now, you're right. Those last three weeks, it's like, man, they better be in a good spot going into them because it feels like, you know, even if you go one and two there, you're feeling okay about it, considering that stretch. So, yeah, um, I'm a big I like the bye week as late as possible. It's just one of those things. I, I and, and again, I know fans are, are not going to want to hear this. This is just my own personal. I, I just love to come out of the bye week and look up and go, oh, only eight more of these to go. Okay, I'm good with that. Because the playoffs, you're re-energized by the playoffs. By by week 10 of the regular season, you are, you're, you're, you're dragging. And you want, you know, you, you love that little week, mini week off. It's not a week off. You get a couple of days off, which is still always good. Then you can look up and go, all right, I can suck through seven more weeks of this stuff. But let's go. I'm good with this. And, you know, one week becomes two, becomes four. You're like, okay, there's now there's only three games. I can do this. And then, the, like I said, the playoffs re-energize you just because of the, the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, having a week seven bye week, man, that's then there's 11 more weeks after that. Ugh. That's Ugh. a bit early. A bit early. Anything yeah. else that stands out to you about the Bengals schedule release? No, it just – I don't know. It, it, I, I, I keep looking at it. It just looks – I don't It just looks – Awkward. I don't know what 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 awkward means to me. It just looks awkward. I, I maybe it's because I thought there'd be more primetime games. There's, 
I thought there would be more four o'clock games. I mean, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, potentially eight and or nine, potentially one o'clock games. That kind of surprised me a little bit, too. In a good way. I like one o'clock games, mind you. That's right. If you were advising a fan on which road trip to make this year, which would you choose? That's a good. That's always a great question. Listen, Kansas City's a good time, but it feels like it's it's old home week. <laughs> it feels like we go there. Every, yeah, it feels like every everyone's year. made that trip by now, except for me. <laughs> exactly. Um, I would not recommend Jacksonville, despite the weather and it being a Monday night football game. It's just that town does very little for me. Um, that stadium does absolutely nothing for me. I'm a huge Baltimore guy. I mean, I love I love me some Baltimore. You go. It's a Thursday night game. If you were to go on the Thursday day of the game. Um, go to the game that night and then spend a couple of days on the back end of that, a Friday, Saturday in Baltimore. That's a good um, call right there. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. I'm a big Baltimore fan. I'm not going to recommend San Francisco, even though I do really like San Francisco. Um, last time I was there, they played Oakland and, and a bunch of us made a trip over for dinner and a, and a night out in San Francisco and had a really good time, but it just seems like it's a hell hole these days. So I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> and I hate to do it. I mean, Listen, Tennessee is always Nashville. You can't go wrong in Nashville. And we're talking in Nashville in um, in in fall. Giddy Ooh. up for that. Yeah. I mean, I think about this. I absolutely despise country music and I love Nashville. Right. So it's just a, a unique place. And yes. I, I mean, obviously, there are different levels to Nashville. There's like the Broadway strip that everyone knows about and goes on. And it's like uh, Bachelorette Central. But there are some incredible places off the beaten path in Nashville that just I mean, that I wouldn't say they're lesser known because everyone there knows about them. But if you're from out of town, you just got you got to take maybe five to 10 minutes of planning out where you're going to go before you leave the hotel. And you can find some incredible spots. Yeah, and then I'm assuming the Cleveland game is going to be played in Cleveland, but I don't know if you remember the story from a month or so ago because they're getting ready to redo the stadium there of them maybe having to play in Columbus. Oh, really? Yeah, and I don't know if that's been finalized. If it's not, if it's in Cleveland, listen, I know everybody pokes fun at Cleveland. I've never had a bad time in Cleveland. Now, we always go there in December when uh, Great Lakes has the Christmas sale flowing yeah. flowing finally but uh cleveland in a good weather time which, which this would be in in the first part of september i think would be a great time i've Any, never had a bad time in cleveland i'm not gonna lie I'm, this year I when you're, everybody pokes fun at it but i've never had a bad time there when you're in cleveland this year i got a spot for you it's okay uh, moe's tavern how close is it where, where is it located downtown very close very close because it's it's right by the arena. We, that's why we go there after okay. the NKU Cleveland State games. Okay, and they serve food late too, which is I know I know a where the rarity these sure. days. Yeah, I've covered I covered an NCAA. Believe it or not, they had an NCAA tournament first first and second round in that arena once. Oh, that is hard to believe. But anyway, it's like a two minute drive from the arena, so it's like okay, right there. perfect. Um, and they serve like a uh, coal oven or brick oven or whatever the hell it's called pizza. You yep. know, that's cooked on the fires, and it's like yep. a, an odd shape. Really good little pizzas they serve late and uh, good. They have they brew their own craft beers and, it, and oh, it's pretty good in there. I, so. I, will, I, will, I will I will recommend that to the group. Then I like it. The place is fascinating, though. It's got a really interesting history, and it's believed that it is the inspiration behind Moe's Tavern in The Simpsons. There we go. Yeah, then we got to so, go. Absolutely. Yeah, it's worth yeah, checking out because we go to different restaurants there, but we always make a great lakes pit stop. Maybe we just have to say, Hey, no Christmas sale, the hot time of year. Let's go somewhere different. So they might have great lakes, Christmas sale there too, on top. (laughs) Maybe they do too early for Christmas sale, no matter where those great lakes are there. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. Uh, 
all right. The uh, red skinny, the red. Are, what, are we done with the schedule there? Yeah, I don't know. What else, is there anything else you wanted to, wanted to discuss? No, I don't think so. I asked you about the best trip. I imagine yeah. that was probably at the bottom of the barrel for me. Uh, all right. Reds. Reds are two and three since we last spoke. They now sit at 15 and 21 overall fourth in the NL Central. And they're just five games back of the first place Pirates. So let's start there. Skinny, the Pirates have lost nine of their last 10 games. The second place Brewers have lost eight of their last 10. This division is a bit of a disaster. I know I was just talking last week about how this team has given us no room for hope over the last decade because of their poor starts. But is it possible the entire division is so bad this year that it's enough to keep the Reds alive for a little while? It is if they make some moves. I mean, they, they, they've got to make this offense better and they've got a chance to maybe do that, which we'll discuss here in a moment. So, yes, um, it's weird that they're sitting at 15 and 21 with Nick Lodolo taking a little bit of a regression of late and with Hunter Green not having a single victory. And I, I, I listen, I know wins and loss totals don't mean anything for pitchers. I'm, I'm all about <laughs> I understand all that nonsense, um, but it's not nonsense. The fact that he doesn't have a win is just weird to me. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I, I agree that wins mean nothing for pitchers at the same time you should keep your team in enough games that you just win by chance at at some point like wins do matter to some extent that it means you kept your team in enough games um you you mentioned the pitching they're one of only four teams with a team era over five so that that's one thing about like we talked about if this team is going to have a chance yeah but but i I will say that feels inflated by a handful of bad starts i mean for the most part i mean some of those have been coming recently. So like my, my point is our thing was like, Hey, if those three pitchers at the top of the rotation, the young guys get it going and start rolling, maybe they could carry this team if they, they start finding their groove. But like, it doesn't feel like they've probably done that enough to an extent to make this team competitive for a race. Well, you have a kid in triple a that, and it's only a handful of starts. He's made six starts between double a AA and triple a. He's also 24 years old, pitched in college has 35 career minor league starts under his belt, has struck out 60 guys in 30 and two-thirds innings this year. Could he be any worse than what you've been rolling out in the 4-5 spot? There's no chance. That's Andrew, And that's Andrew Abbott. There's no chance. They did get rid of Luis Sessa. Yes. I guess which the question surpri- is... Which actually surprised me that they designated for, him assi- for assignment as opposed to putting him back in the bullpen. Yeah, we kept thinking he was going to be like a long-relief bullpen yeah. guy. I mean, I'm fine with just getting rid of him. I think he stinks, but I, I think he could have given you at least some innings out of the bullpen, especially in roles that may not have really mattered. Uh, But I guess the big question here, Skinny, is you're talking about the pitching. The offense at AAA is incredible right now. These guys are just tearing it up. They're setting records. They're getting in national news stories uh, every week, it seems like. When are Reds fans actually going to get a taste of some of this young talent that's blowing up down at at the minor league level? So, Rick, you didn't even know I wrote this because it, it was published as, as we're doing this podcast. I actually just I wrote it yesterday. My editor edited it last night and then we published it this morning. So you didn't even know I wrote this. And that was literally my column is there's what is the quote unquote right time to bring up, as I mentioned, Andrew Abbott, um, to bring up Ellie De La Cruz, to bring up Matt McClain, to bring up Christian Encarnacion Strand. When is the right time? And I did. I, I actually I kind of actually said, I said, what are the Reds waiting for? Was was part of my lead. And I, my next sentence was, and I mean that, and I asked that in the sincerest way possible. So what is the right time? And I'm going to ask you that. What, what is the right time? I, I, I don't think we know, but I know this. Matt McClain's a 23-year-old who's got a 
a, a bunch of college baseball under his belt and is tar- tearing it up in the minors at AAA. I don't know what else he's got to prove. And you can argue small sample size. Okay, he's got 170 plate appearances with a thousand plus OPS. He's tearing. He's got 11 home runs. What else does he need to show you at that level? And at his age, I'm not asking you that this night, some 19 year old kid that's tearing it up in a ball to bring him up. I'm talking about a 23 year old that that was your first round draft pick a couple of years ago out of college. That's proven to you that he can hit minor league pitching. All right, let's bring him up here because the other part about up here is who you move it out. Jose Barrero, yeah, and. Um, if you bring up Christian Encarnacion strand, does that end the Tyler Stevenson as a first baseman experiment and make him catch more fine? I'm done with the three catchers. We we talked about that on the podcast last week of, I understand their plan of him catching only 65 games this year and trying to avoid injury and trying to have him healthy for when you have a chance to maybe do something. But as we talked about, his bat is not elite at first base right now. Honestly, it's not even elite at catcher. No. But it's it's certainly better than what you'd roll out there with Luke Maley and Kirk Casale on an every, you know, four or five days of the week portion of the schedule, as opposed to Tyler catching two days a week. Um, and listen, Red's first baseman's I, I I put it in my story. I don't have it here handy, so I'm doing this kind of off the top of my head. Um, actually, I can look it up because my story's up. I think Red's first baseman this year, the collection of Jason Vossler, who's no longer with the team, Spencer Steer, Stevenson, and Will Myers, I believe have a 640 OPS. Go look at Christian Encarnacion Strand's OPS, not just this year at AAA, but in 600-plus at-bats as a minor leaguer, he's got 1,000 OPS. He's raked at every level he's ever been at. He has college under his belt. He's 23 years old. Look what he did in spring training when he hit 577 with a 1.7-whatever-it-was OPS. And, yes, it's just spring training. But when is that guy never not raked? And at what point do you just go, listen, there's nothing else to prove down here. He's got seven home runs and 60 at bats. It can't be worse than what we're rolling out there right now than to try this kid. So what is the right time? I don't know if there is a right time, but I do think this, the time has got to be coming closer and closer and closer if it's not already now. Admittedly, I'm the wrong guy to d- discuss this subject matter from uh, uh, the rules and service time and all that in terms of well, contract with the other guys. So the, is so the, any of so that the, stuff of impacting this? Well, I, I wrote that. because so, so the service time argument, um, for non-Super 2 has already come and gone. It's only a handful of days into a season before that goes out the window. Um, and I did put the Super 2 status uh, in there. Last year it was um, – oh, shoot, I've got to give me two seconds here. Last year the Super 2 status and, – and this is set after the season. It's the top 22% of, of guys that come up. So you're, it's kind of a fluid date. There's no set date set in stone. But last year's Super 2 status was two years and 128 days of service time. So if a guy was called up yesterday, and I just use that as the example because that's when I wrote it, they they could qualify if they stayed on the roster for 144 days of service time. So they would literally, they would likely qualify for Super 2 status if they came up now. And I I put dates in there for the last decade, and most of the dates are around that, that number, give or take 10 days. So technically, yes, the Super 2 is still in play, and that might be in the equation. But I said... I honestly don't even know if that's in the Reds factoring because if these guys pan out how you like and and expect, I mean, and or hope, however you want to phrase it, I would imagine they're going to buy out their arbitration years and a couple of years of free agency with long-term contracts, much like they did Hunter Green. So it's going to be a moot point if they're as good as you think they are. And if they're not as good as you think they are, then what are you worrying about? Who would you like to see called up first? Who do you want to see the most up here? I think to me, it's, it's McLean and Encarnacion Strand now um, get Ellie because Ellie was 
Ellie came along a little bit later. So did Encarnacion Strand. But like I said, that cat just absolutely raked in spring training. Yeah. His minor league numbers are off the charts. I mean, they're eye popping off the charts. Um, and he's got nothing but hit. hit and he had a bad night a couple nights ago. He struck out three times. He doesn't walk a lot. He does strike out a lot. But um, I mean, his numbers, when he puts it in play, are just insane. Um, so those two guys, to me, that ends that three catcher experiment. That ends the Jose Barrero failure. Um, and that gives you that. And then soon after, maybe give Ellie another week or two. <clears throat> maybe give Andrew Abbott another couple of starts in AAA because he only made three. Um, but th- those those two are the first two. I think Abbott would be sooner to follow. And then Ellie, when you feel Ellie's completely ready, I, I think Ellie's damn close to ready. Rick, on Tuesday night, he hit three balls um, at 116 miles per hour plus. He hit a home run from each side of the plate, hit a double. He's he's been clocked as as throwing 99 miles an hour on the infield. The 360 mile an hour balls, I believe, um, are are the exit velocity were faster than anybody's hit in the big leagues this season, and he hit three of them. His speed has been clocked at just ridiculous times. Uh, home to first, first to third. Uh, he had a triple the other night where he was clocked at some ridiculous speed. I mean, I'm not sure what else he's got left to prove. But if you feel like, hey, let's just let him. He's only 21. Um, Matt McLean can man that for now. We're not in completely a, a rush to do it. And, and yeah, I know I'm talking on both sides of my mouth with the rush, but McLean and, and Encarnacion Strand are older. They've got college under their belt. They've done nothing but hitting the minors. And so at that point for me, it's those two guys come up. Abbott soon to follow. You know, I didn't realize this till I wrote it, Rick. Abbott's got 35 minor league starts. And I only mentioned you know, he's only got six this year between Chattanooga. He started last year in Chattanooga. He's got six this year between Chattanooga and Louisville. And you could argue, give him a couple more starts in Louisville if you want. That's fine. But he's got 35 minor league starts under his belt. You know, Nick Lodolo only had 25. Hunter Green only had 45 when they got promoted full-time to the Reds. So we're not talking about some uncharted territory of bringing a guy up. And again, he's 24 years old with a bunch of college under his belt. So I think these guys, that's why I said, what is the right time? I don't know, but it feels like the time is now for these guys. Yeah, especially with the buzz they're creating right now in AAA. Uh, you know, you mentioned Ellie De La Cruz is saying maybe give him a little bit more time. People are probably like, why? I just heard he hit a ball 118 miles an hour is the hardest hit ball at any and level I, of baseball. Listen, this you want to bring him up now? That's fine. I, I just think for right now, I, I don't know. What? I know you can put McLean at short for now, but yep. then if Ellie comes up, what do we do with that? Where, where does that go? I, I, again, that's for the Reds to sort out. I mean, somebody's going to eventually have to move positions, and maybe a couple of guys are going to have to move positions. Do you want to tinker with that now? Um, do you want to wait till later? That, that, that's the only part I'm having a hard time kind of working out in my head is how are you going to make this? Because right now, Nick Senzel's doing a pretty nice job at third defensively, and he's hitting pretty well. Although, again, he can come back to earth and get hurt at any time, as we know. Yeah. You know, your outfield isn't set in stone. I've had enough of the Will Myers experiment. If you want to tinker with moving guys around there, move Spencer Steer back to the outfield. I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I just, I just think, you know what, these guys, and especially when you mentioned it, I mean, you're not, you're not far out of it. And maybe these guys are enough to push you into a pennant race. Well, that's the thing you start thinking about is like, I mean, the way you're hanging around, have you, had you had any momentum the last two weeks, you'd be knocking on the door of first place all of a sudden. Yep. Because the two teams at the top have not had a good last two weeks. The problem is the Reds went four and six over that stretch, so they didn't really gain any ground. But I was just going to mention real quick, but the Ellie De La Cruz point, what you mentioned, I think, is important to note that there is going to be some musical chairs here in the infield when you start bringing all of these guys up. So it's probably not ideal to do it all at once. And the other part of that is as much as Ellie De La Cruz has been on fire the last week plus and uh, is starting to really hit the cover off the ball, he's smashing a couple and putting up those eye-popping games, 
He did start one for 21 in his first several games. So like, that's not not an issue, but I'm just saying, I think if you are going to give one of them a little bit more time to just keep it going and build some momentum, he's probably the guy because he was really cold to start. And now he's really hot all of a sudden. It's like, okay, let him even out here a little bit and settle in. Right. No, that's, that's why I said, bring Matt McClain up to man it for now. And there's probably going to be an injury that's going to help you sort some of this stuff out, you know, you know, maybe you do move Sinzel back to the outfield and, and and put McLean at third base and put Elliott short. And, you know, I, 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 I think I said, it's a really good problem to have, but I want it to be a problem because I, I, I think the time is, the time is right to do this. And that's, I, I get, maybe they are manipulating super two. I just don't see it just because like I said, if things pan out, I truly think that they will do the right thing and they will put these guys on long-term deals like Hunter Green. I think Nick Lodolo is probably soon to follow with that. Although even with him cooling off of late, I think Graham Ashcraft may be that guy eventually uh, if he puts together maybe a full solid year this year where you buy out some arbitration and buy out a year or two of free agency that you've identified the core. I think if we're starting to find out the core, which is what kind of this year was going to be, I think the guys I mentioned can very much and should very much be a part of the core. Let's make them the core now. I mean, I, that's the thing. you're not pushing out somebody that that it's not like you're going, man. But if we push out Stevenson at first, my gosh, he's hitting he's hitting three sixty with eleven homers. We can't. We this this is work. No, that that idea was a right idea on paper. It's not the right idea in functionality because he's not he's not hit like a first baseman. He's hit like a okay catcher. There's not a position player right now on the Reds roster that is immovable. That is uh like a cornerstone of your future i mean people may point to jonathan india but like even he i could take or leave like if you want to trade jonathan india tomorrow for another arm i'd be fine with that he's he's an okay hitter honestly like he's not much more than that um as as it turns out he's pretty poor defensively so i don't think there's a single guy that i'd be worried about moving or or upsetting or anything like that the one thing i will say is as much as i'm anxious and i want to see these guys and i don't really understand what the weight is for. I'll also say the Reds just need to get this right with the young guys. Yes. As long yeah. as they get it right with those guys, I can <laughs> sacrifice the rest of this season. No problem. I don't really care about it anymore as it is. So get it right with these guys. Make sure the future is going to work out first and foremost. And if you think keeping them down in the minors another week or two weeks or three weeks is the, the solution and the key to that, then by all means, go for it. I, and I'm, I and really I'm fine with it. that. Yeah, I'm fine with that part too. But I also go back to the other part of what is the right time. I mean, right. It, just, it, I need the explanation for why they should be down there because it right. doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But I'm willing to listen to it for sure. Yeah, have we seen enough of Jose Barrero? I think we have. I'm guess. Yeah, yeah, him, Will Myers. I'm good. And, yeah. and even like you're talking about Nixon Zell, we we said last week like, hey, maybe leave him at third base because the guy you know seems to be playing a little bit better there. Whatever. You wanted to move him tomorrow for one of these young guys. I have zero problem with that. Like Nixon Zell has had his chance. It's come and gone. I have no illusions that he's going to be a big part of the the future here. I I hope he does well. I'd like for him to get it on track and get it going, but I'm not holding off on future plans because of Nixon Zell starting to play a little bit bit better. I mean, Rick, do you know the two top RBI guys on this team are at the moment? Is it still Zell and Vossler? (laughs) No, it's Jake Fraley with 19 and TJ Frieda with 18. I mean, come on. Rake Fraley, they call it. I, I will say, I, I'm really coming to like TJ Friedel. Yeah, I do too. I, I do too. He, he's like just a little dirt ball that plays hard, runs yep. fast. He can hit the ball a little bit with into the gaps. I, I think he's a great just roll guy. I do too. 
All right, Skinny, you mentioned at the top of the podcast that we often like to talk about some betting topics, and we don't have any bets to give you per se in this episode, but there are some betting topics to get into. In fact, there are a couple of betting scandals that I, I want to mention. One of them is local to us, or there's a local tie at least. So uh, first, Iowa said it received information about 111 individuals, including 26 student athletes from baseball, football, men's basketball, men's track and field, and wrestling and one full-time employee in the athletic department involving potential NCAA violations with sports betting. Iowa State, their rival, also announced that it was aware of sports betting allegations involving about 15 of their student-athletes from football, wrestling, and track and field. So that's one issue. Then there was another story before that regarding the Alabama baseball program and its coach because there were a couple of large and suspicious bets made at the Bet MGM Sportsbook at Great American Ballpark right here in Cincinnati on LSU baseball to beat Alabama on April 28th. It turns out the head coach at Alabama had called a buddy and told him to bet on Bama, his team, to lose after he realized they'd be without their scheduled starting Well, but, but here's the thing. Did he, did, did he say that? Do we know he said that? Or did he simply say, hey, man, what's up? How you doing? Yeah, nah, things ain't going great for me today. I got my 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 number one pitcher scratch. I got to start Fred, who's got an eight point three ERA, and the guy took that information and ran with it. I still don't know the exact well, answer to that. They said that according to this investigation, the coach was on the phone with the guy who was placing the bet at the time that he was placing the bet, you, like while he was at the sports book. Yes, but again, was we still don't know the exact nature of that conversation. Well, I mean, do you, I mean it's just hard for me to believe that he didn't know what his buddy who was at a sports book was going to be doing with that information. Did he know his buddy was at the sports book? I I would have to assume so. Otherwise, why would they be talking while he's trying to coach a game? Well, it was an hour before the game. And again, it's a buddy. I mean, maybe just in passing, you're in your office, buddy. Maybe buddy called him. I mean, maybe buddy called him go, man, what's up? Or, and he said, yeah, I guess I, not a good night for me. We're, you know, we got LSU tonight and I'm, I've got to scratch my number one starter. I, again, I'm not here to try to be naive with this. Don't get me wrong, Rick, but I still don't know the full outcome of that. I don't Now, I will say this and you, you were, you've been at that sports book and told me the night you were there, nobody was there. How damn dumb can you be to probably be one of the few people in that sports book at the time betting on some random ass game like that? How dumb can you be? Well, how dumb can you be from that perspective, but also just in general, college baseball games get like maybe a thousand dollars bet on them across the yeah, country. It, they're no, not what, heavily bet. No, not at all. Not until the college world, the college world series actually gets bet, but yes, right. you're right. But, the, I mean, random, but a random, random weekday right. game, this dude goes right. in, drops a five figure bet on an sec baseball game. And he's in the middle of Cincinnati. This is why you regulate sports betting. So you can immediately catch something like this. Yes. And, this that's is, the, and, and that's the part. I know everybody now is saying, Oh, see, this is what sports betting's done. No, this is we're catching some of this now. We're catching my my favorite story of all time is my Michigan State guys laughing when I asked them about the right state loss in 1999, 2000, when, in my opinion, they knew that I knew that they knew that they threw that damn game. Right. Exactly. And I'm like that, that thing was that type of thing is happening all the time, it was happening all the time before this stuff became regulated and became legal in a lot of U.S. states. It was already happening. So that's that's the thing that I always find funny when people start talking about this. Like, See, it's, it's created this issue. It's like, well, no, it didn't create the issue. We're just now catching some of the people that are doing it. It's been going on forever. People have been throwing games and and telling their buddies, giving them instant, inside information forever, ever since this stuff was 
invented. <clears throat> I mean, it's nothing new. The only difference is we can now catch some of them uh, because you, you have people watching this sort of thing. So it was, it was probably the easiest easiest incident they've ever had in terms of finding out, hey, this is not right. Like, obviously, somebody's got some information here because they're betting five figures on an SEC baseball game. And the fact that it was the head coach who was passing along that information is just it's my it's why would you do that? You you're you actually have a good job. You actually have something to lose. If you're the the guy who's the uh, the video coordinator who's making thirty five thousand dollars a year and grinding his ass off. OK, like, yeah, I mean, maybe that guy has a reason to try to put in a bet with his buddies, use some inside information and gain some leverage there so he can pay his rent for the next couple of months. But the head coach doing it. Why? Why would you do that? And that's where I go back to. I, I they they obviously they 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 were very swift in their punishment was Alabama. So yeah, I fired him right away. So they must have known. Yeah, I'm hoping that that's the case. But if it's the case of like I said, calling a buddy and just getting something off your chest. Of, yeah, God, man, I, I was looking for this weekend, and I got I got to scratch my number one dude tonight, and I got to start a kid that's only got two two games under his belt. ZRA's eight. I'm just hoping for the best tonight. I like the rest of my weekend, but man, tonight's bad. And the buddy goes, "Click. Well, I'm gonna. I, I don't bet on this, but I'm gonna bet on it now." I mean, it's conceivable. Yeah. Well, the the other story, the Iowa Iowa State thing, is I think that one's going to be a problem for college athletics because the yes, NCAA that rules I agree with. are silly and they don't allow college students to bet on sports. Period. Not pro sports. Not NCAA tournament brackets. Nothing. That's not the way it is. Like in pro sports, you can't bet on your sport. And you can't bet on the premises of your team. Like there are rules like that. But if NFL guys want to be in a fantasy football or a fantasy baseball league or vice versa, they're allowed to do that type of thing. They're allowed if, to bet. If, Tom, if Tommy Pham wants to slap, who was it that he slapped? I'm, was it Jock Peterson? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was Jock Peterson. Over his fantasy football league? Yeah. 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 yeah if, you, if those guys are allowed to bet on those things, those guys, but in college athletics, you're not allowed to do any sports betting. And I mean, with the popularity of things like Barstool and all these other sports book promotions, it's all geared towards kids that are in that, you know, 20 to 30 year old age group for the most part. So it's going to be really hard to keep these kids from not doing any betting at all. And unless the NCAA and and even some states start changing those rules, I, I think this is going to continue to be a problem. You're going to continue to see college athletes banned for Agreed. betting on pro sports or participating in a fantasy league or uh, what what have you. Remember, Rick Neuheisel uh, lost his job at Washington as football coach for being involved in NCAA tournament brackets. Yeah. I mean, it's been a thing forever. The difference is now this is where the proliferation of legal sports betting in all the states and all the new sports book apps and all that. This has created a little bit more of an issue than there otherwise was yes. because, you know, th there wasn't the opportunity for all these college athletes to easily put down. 15 or 20 bucks on the NBA games going on each night. And and now they can do that. And technically it's against the rules for NCAA athletes to do that, that period, regardless of whether it's their sport or not. Yeah. That's one where maybe a little further education for them would go a long way. Well, um, see, I, know, I, I just, think I, you, I know they get talked to, I know they get, maybe, maybe this is the example of, okay, listen, I know you guys have heard this speech, um, but believe it to be real because you just saw what happened to all these kids at Iowa and Iowa state. But isn't this one where you just fix the rules, Skinny? Like you just I say, like you guys are allowed to bet on pro sports, but not your own sport, just like every other. Well, league. you also have to be what twenty-one to bet. Is that right, or is it eighteen? I think just eighteen. Is it okay? I think. For some reason I thought twenty-one. You have to be twenty-one to get into casinos, but I think that's more about yeah, a, maybe a drinking right. thing. Yeah, maybe you're right. Um, 
investment. Actually, I don't even know if that's true what I just said. I don't know if you have to be 20. Well, I think you have to show an ID to get into casinos, right? Yes. I but that so. doesn't necessarily mean you have to be 21, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I, don't I don't know, know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, ask any anything. Let's get into it. Uh, hang on. Hey, I got one more betting segment. Oh, you, you do? We do. Win totals were set in college football for each of the Power Five conferences. So you don't know this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it on you where you usually ask me the question. I'm going to ask you over or under for these teams of local interest. So they were set. This was the sports site, sportsbetting.ag, set each of the win totals for the Power Five conference teams. Ohio State is set at 10 and a half over or under, and this is just for the regular season. Over, under 10 and a half. So that means we're saying no more than one loss. Than one loss. I'm going. I'm going to take the under there. I think I am, too. And I can also say that thinking that Ohio State could run the table. Yeah, I, and that's a legitimate possibility. But you have, I mean, they're going to win that game at Notre Dame, I think. I do, too. But boy, Gosh, doors- I don't know. You, I mean, the whole at Michigan thing is like I a know. concern now that they might actually lose to Michigan again. And then it's like, do they slip up along the way at Wisconsin? Uh, probably not at Wisconsin with that rebuild going on. Probably not at Rutgers. So it's going to be a home game. Uh, I might have just talked myself into the I'll, t- I'll take the over. Yeah, because I it's hard for me to to find two losses here. To be honest with You're you, probably right. Um, I UC's was set lower than what I thought. Before I ask you over or under, what do you think the total for UC was set at? First I actually Big Twelve. I actually do believe I I was at uh, the BetMGM sportsbook last night watching uh, Verlander and Hunter Green go at it. Yes, and I do believe I heard someone say it was four and a half. Is that it right? It is four and a half. So what what do you what say you at four and a half? That's a good question. Four and a half with UC moving into the Big 12. Their, their non-conference <laughs> schedule is Eastern Kentucky, Pittsburgh, at, at Pittsburgh, yep. Miami, and Oak, or, uh, Oklahoma is part of their conference, obviously. Um, that's it. So it's just Eastern Kentucky, Pittsburgh, and Miami is their non-conference? That's probably right. Okay. Um, I think they... They probably lose at Pittsburgh, right? I think so. So they're probably two and one there. And then you got to find three wins for or four wins for them in. There's got to be another, there's gotta be another non-conference, doesn't there? Am I wrong? Uh, Oklahoma, BYU, Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State, UCF, Houston, West Virginia, Kansas. Okay, so you're right. Yeah. Uh, so they can beat UCF at home. All right, that's three. Can they win at BYU? No. I don't think so either. I'm going to go under four and a half. Wow. Maybe See, they can oh, win at home against oh, Kansas? Oh. Yeah, that, that one I think they can win. I, I thought all along six and six felt right to me, but when you start looking at it individually, it's hard to find a lot of those wins in this conference. And um, the I, other part over. is we just don't know do what go, it's going to be I think like. They do go to, I think they do go six and six. I think they do go six and six. Okay. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to go over. If I said that, though, I would just be hoping that they found a way to win some of these Big 12 games. Yeah. And then Kentucky's total is set at six and a half. I'm going over. That feels like an over for me. That feels yeah. like an uh, an over. Uh, looking at UK. And by the way, schedule. the highest win total. Uh, oh, 
Yep, go ahead. Fire away. Well, I was gonna say those they got three by by weeks for sure. Yeah, they start off with three by games. Then you're at Vanderbilt, which yeah, you owe them from last you year. You would think they'll win that. Four, maybe four and zero. Then you got Florida at home. It starts getting tough at Georgia versus Missouri. That's five. versus Missouri at home is a win. That's four up to five. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing at least four losses on here. Okay, probably five. That's seven and five. So there, there, there's your, there's your breaking point. I, I think I'm going over. Yeah, I'm going over. I'll go over because I, I think my prediction would be four losses, eight and four. The highest win total of any team is Georgia at eleven and a half. So if you took the over, you'd have them running the table, which is not out of the realm um, by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, and then the, the next highest is Ohio State, uh, Alabama, Florida State, and who am I missing? One other. There's one other. They're ten and a half. So there you go. Oh, Michigan's ten and a half. All right. Well, it was an extended betting segment. I didn't even know yeah, we had we so go. much yep. to talk about. Sorry about that. Segment. No, all good. Glad to get to it. All right. Ask any anything. If you could pick one NBA team to revert back to an older jersey and logo combination, which team would you choose? All right. I'm going to think about it. Oh, Seattle Supersonics. So you would take the Thunder and make them the Supersonics? Yes. 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 <laughs> That's actually yeah. pretty good because the Thunder's <laughs> logo and jerseys stink. They do stink. Yes, the old Seattle Supersonics for sure. Okay, I, I I actually like that. I think I would go either Orlando Magic, back to like the Shaq Penny days with the yep. like when I they had the black would, jerseys yeah, and blue pinstripes and all that. Yep, those were awesome. Yep, I, I like those. Or the Raptors. I like the old Charlotte Hornets back in the day too. I like yep. that combination. Yep. Charlotte Hornets was iconic with the starter jackets, the teal and purple. Um, the old Baltimore Bullets ones I love from back in the seventies and eighties. Um, and, and honestly, the, the Knicks, the Knicks and Celtics are iconic enough for me to still like them. Yeah, those one, those are ones I wouldn't change. I mean, yeah, they, correct. They yeah, you're right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. no, I I go back to Seattle Supersonics. Okay, that's a good one. All right, you knew this was coming. If you could throw a rubber penis at any local sports figure, past <laughs> or present, who would it be and why? <laughs> oh, hang on. I mean, you knew you knew that was coming. Yeah, I did know that was with, coming. with, with our listeners. Uh, gosh, who would I do that to? That that is a great question, Dave Shula. Only because, and I like Dave personally, but <laughs> Dave was just he was he was such a nepotistic, over the top hire that he deserves one thrown at him. Uh, I feel like I'm gonna get criticized for this, but. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing Marvin Lewis take some rubber peni to the face. That's a good one, too, to be quite frank. He just feels like he would not take it well. Feels like he'd be very annoyed by it. So, And honestly, because we can't confirm that it happened, I, I think Hugs deserves that. Yeah, well, that's true. What, what really should happen here is the Big East Big 12 Challenge should pit Xavier and West Virginia against each other this year. So, he's so good. And Xavier fans should just have a giant Bachelorette-themed <laughs> game. Where everything is like drinking out of penis straws. We got penis yep. balloons. We've that got be great. dildos, uh, uh. inflatable dildos, balloons <laughs> up in the student section. <laughs> that would be fabulous. Uh, oh, Skinny, what's your favorite video game of all time and why? Um, I don't know. Random one for me. Missile Commander. Was that on Atari? Yes. Yes. I used to love I used to love Missile. I could play Missile Commander for hours on end. That was like a classic arcade game too, right? Yes, you correct. Get like a Absolutely. big arcade. Yes. Yeah. Yes, correct. Were you an arcade guy at all? Did you go to arcades in your early years? Um, yes, I did. Uh, there was actually one on campus at UK right by where I would walk 
from class. Um, and I would, uh, uh, I would stop there for a couple hours. There was a boxing game. I would play. Remember, remember glass Joe. Oh yeah. Uh, body like blow, punch out. Body, yeah. Body blow, yeah. body blow. Yeah. Knockout. Yeah. I played that for hours on end. And then there was a baseball game. I love that. I could play for hours on end in the baseball game. The, the better you did, the longer you could. So like initially you get like three innings of play, but if you scored X number of runs, it'd give you a couple free innings on top of it. Oh yeah. And I got yeah. Before I could play a full game. So yeah, that was always a good, that was, that was a good one because it was cheap. That's funny. My dad, he went, he actually went to Xavier and uh, he went to Cove Latin originally. So if you don't know, it's a local school where you basically skip. You graduate high school, school at age 11. Yeah, exactly. You skip two years of grade school. So you end up going into college like two years younger than everybody else. It's a terrible idea for your social life, basically, is what I'm getting at. And my dad didn't need any uh, thing holding him back in a social life anyway, because he's a bit of a nerd. So it was always funny when we were younger. You know how like uh, guys who were good athletes at their high school or, or maybe at college, you know, might take their kid back and be like, oh, yeah, this is where we used to play. And there's my jersey on the wall yep, or whatever. Yep. My dad. And I'll never forget this. We were little. We like go back to a Xavier game or something. And my dad would be one of them. I'd be like, yeah, over there was the arcade. Used to hang out there. I was awesome at ping pong and foosball. Like I just, I won multiple tournaments. And like, I mean, my dad would talk about it as if he, he was Byron Larkin at Xavier. You know glory, what I mean? glory days for him right there. Yeah, All time leading ping pong player in, in Xavier. Love arcade. It. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Just outstanding work. Uh, all right. Finally, if you're on a road trip, Skinny, what's the snack and drink you always get from the gas station? It's funny. I'm not a big snack guy. Um, drink would probably be either a fountain root beer or a fountain orange soda. Oh, root beer. Root beer tastes like Pepto-Bismol to me. I don't understand why people like really? it. Really? I love root beer. I, I don't drink it very it. much. I don't even have any in the house, but but fountain root fountain root beer is really good. I've said before, if if I'm getting a fountain drink when I'm really like desperately thirsty, it is a Mountain Dew for sure. Oh, really? Yeah, I can chug a Mountain Dew, but I, I for a road trip I don't do it. Maybe I just get afraid of the caffeine buzz. I'm going to get out of a 64 big gulp, 64 ounce big gulp. <laughs> so it's usually a nice mellow root beer that I can sip, or, a, or an orange soda that I can I can guzzle when I want to guzzle it and sip it when I want to sip it. If I was going to do a go to snack, it's a it's a tube of Pringles. No, that's not terrible. I don't. I don't mind a Pringle. Good for the car too. Not messy. Not greasy. Yeah, not messy. Right. Correct. And then uh, the best part of that is, you know, you can put the lid on it and put it aside for you know. You can you can pig out on maybe half of a sleeve of it and go, all right, I'm good. And then you put it away for a while. And if it's a long car trip, you're like, yeah, I'm still, oh, you know what? I still got a half a sleeve of Pringles left. I'm gonna I'll grab a few more of those just to nibble on. In a couple of weeks, we will be in this mode here. The wife and I will be driving to Folly Beach. Which, You're driving your pregnant wife to Folly Beach. Well, that's why we're that's why we're driving because oh she can't fly. Okay, it's too it's too oh late boy. to fly. I mean, I guess I guess technically we could fly. Here's, here's going to be your issue, my brother. We're going to stop you know, every half hour to pee. Pregnant women have to go a lot. Yep. Trust. I, look, this is not my idea. It's her family vacation that we have to go for. So tell it's not. Be, this tell is, her to bring a bedpan. This is not something that I have planned out. It is something that I'm going along with, but. I only bring it up now to say I will be having to figure out which snake. And I'm only well, a Coke Zero fountain guy at this point. In my yeah, you I think tell, everyone you, knows that. You simply tell her, honey, I love you, but unless you need to get a desperate sip of water, you are not drinking the damn thing on this trip. Yeah, it's ice chips for her. Yeah, like, ice you chips. You suck on an ice chip like yes, we're in the correct. hospital. I, yeah. I will say, Rick, you got to make the Bucky stop. We probably will do that. Although I've I've been there once already, and I, it's the like, it's fine to stop there, but it's also the most overrated place in the world. 
Um, I'm going to disagree. I, I thought it was going to be as well. Um, I don't. So you're going to so you're going straight down 75. I'd assume so. Yeah, I'm not a directions person. Okay, I'm plugged into yeah, the okay, GPS you, guy. You said Florida. You said Florida because when we went to no Folly Beach, South Carolina. Oh, South Carolina. Well, maybe. So you'll drive through the mountains, right? I'd assume so. Yeah. Okay, because they're they. I don't know how they were pretty far along on on a Bucky's when we made the trip to the Masters and we drove that way. We played golf in Sevierville at the exit. We played at in Sevierville. There, there's a Bucky's that looks like it was eighty percent done. So it might be done by the time you make that trek. We can only one in Richmond, Kentucky, so for sure. I mean, I thought yeah, I thought like the pulled pork sandwich was fine. I mean, I, I thought the beef jerky I got was fine, but I just don't understand like the the obsession with the place. Really, it's cool, but it's like Walmart and a gas station combined. It is that, but maybe that's what makes it so cool. Is you're just used to you're used to the egg roll from Speedway, like I am. Yeah, it's like it's a people watching place. I'd say it's you, you go in there and you just see humanity at its absolute worst, and you're like, yes, all right. You do. I yes. feel better about myself now. No question. No question. We're Chex Mix people, by the way. I think I'll go Chex ah, Mix next week. Really? Yeah, I like a, a little bag of Chex Mix. All right, that's 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 a, that's a good call. I, I I can do some Chex Mix. Yeah. I don't. I don't. It's not my choice, but yeah, that's that's not a bad point. Something to be pissed. I, I like the right, rye right. chips. Appreciate. I do too. That's yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I um, my buddy gets a good trail mix where I like I like the sesame seeds that he gets in those. Oh yeah, I like the them. sesame I like seed does sticks. Where those are. Those are really good. Yeah. All right. Appreciate the questions as always. Keep them coming. We will be back next week with another podcast edition. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.